Welcome to This Cast Here, a podcast for parents and teachers about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. My name's Michael Shanahan. I think I'm Bill Hansberry. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are joined by Kiralee Smout. And we're going to be interviewing Kiralee about what today, Bill? Well, we're going to be talking to Kiralee probably about one of the hardest aspects of working with whether you teach or you or you intervene with students with specific learning difficulties and it's the emotional side of it i mean michael we've talked about this in bits and bobs haven't we yep before but we're really interested in kiralee's insights on some of this because kiralee's well this is kiralee's wheelhouse yeah uh but before we start and introduce kiralee we'd like to acknowledge that we're casting to you today from the traditional lands of the ghana people and we'd like to pay our respects to Elders emerging, past and present, and also acknowledge that we are on Ghana land. It always has been and always will be Ghana land, Michael. Thank you, Bill. Bill, would you like to introduce Kiralee? It is my absolute <laughs> pleasure. Now, Ki- about to have a fanboy moment here, Kiralee. Um, Bill. Kiralee is... Um, uh, I've known, Kiralee, we've known each other for a long time. We have. Um, Kiralee runs a thriving um, uh, psychology psychology uh, uh, business uh, in in Adelaide um Kiralee uh, your work has always um been something I go to I've got when life sucks for kids in front of me in when, when I'm working with kids um always a very sensible take on things Kiralee um and when uh, I said to Michael uh guess what we might be able to get Kiralee in um <laughs> Michael knew of you too and was quite pumped yeah um, so we, we finally got here Kiralee now after that, Kiralee, where I've probably, you know, praised you, um, made you go red, <laughs> embarrassed you. Tell us a bit about your work, Kiralee. Oh, well, thank you. That's um, a lovely introduction. So it was my- rambling, wasn't it? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, apparently it can be edited out. So. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah. Uh, so, uh, thank you for having me. I was very excited myself when you mm-hmm. rang, having listened to several episodes, as you know, and um, been extremely impressed. So, I'm very pleased to be here. But a little bit about me, I'm assuming that's what you want me yes, to say. Please. Okay. Mm. So, I'm a clinical child psychologist, been working with children and families for about 27 years now. So, have had the privilege of many thousands of conversations with kids with lots of different life challenges, including those uh, kids who are living with learning difficulties and um, all kinds of challenges at school and outside of school. So, I work with kids from about four to 18 and have a group of wonderful uh, child psychologists um, who also do the same work. Is that enough information? I think it's a beautiful summary. All right. Kiralee, I'm holding open... Like I mentioned before, When Life Sucks for Kids, mm-hmm. and I know you also did When Life Sucks for Teens, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yes. Um, like I mentioned before, um, you can see that I've heavily bookmarked, dog-eared, and even paperclip pages because I do work with some some of my students. I just read them bits and pieces. Now, the bit that caught my eye or caught our eye for this chapter, uh, Kiralee, was the part of the book titled I'm Not Very Smart. Now- I guess our kids, when I say our kids, the, the students Michael and I work with, they rock up feeling just that. Yep. Mm. And like we've talked about in other discast year episodes, it's kind of our job to help uh, our, our students um, see the difficulties they experience as a difficulty usually inside a sea of strengths. And Kiralee, I know you talked about that in your calm and confident statements. I can see you trying to help 
young people uh, localise or isolate those difficulties that can cause them being behind at school, finding schoolwork harder than others. Was that your intention when you when you wrote that? Mm. I reckon I had a few key kids in my head when I wrote that chapter, really, because um, I, I find the area heartbreaking at times, to be honest. Mm. And I think that... Um, you would see this all the time that we have families who come to see us who are devastated, um, distressed and broken because of this feeling like, I can't do this. I can't read. I can't match up to my peers. What's going to happen to me? Mm. And so I'd, I'd love to talk today about what we can do, but I think it would be a good place to start, if that's okay, to talk about the reality of this for lots of families. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, we can reflect on this just anecdotally, of course, but the research tells us that what we're seeing when we're seeing young people is true uh, across Australia and internationally. So the research does tell us that children who have learning difficulties are more likely than kids who don't to experience emotional health problems. Mm. So they're more likely to experience what psychologists would call internalising and externalising problems. So the internalising problems, they're more likely to feel worried, stressed, they're more likely to feel sad, um, to feel hopeless about themselves than kids who don't. Um, and then the externalising difficulties are those difficulties where they, uh, we might say, act out, I suppose, but they're more likely to get frustrated and not want to follow instructions and not feel cooperative and not feel like, um, you know, perhaps not make good decisions in their behaviours with peers or adults around them. Mm. So um, it's not just the occasional kid with a learning difficulty that has this Um a lot of kids who have learning difficulties or, or dyslexia are going to act in these ways and feel like this. Mm. The other thing I want to say too, though, is that it's not just the kids who are experiencing this, it's their parents as well. Yeah. So research will tell us that parents of kids with learning difficulties are also more likely to feel really distressed and despairing mm. about what's happening to their kids. What have I done? What's going to happen in their future? Is it my fault? Um, and and it's not something that is easily talked about either. Mm. So a lot of this distress that we're seeing kids and family have, they're kind of keeping it in their heads because there's a certain level of shame in talking mm. about it. Mm. Yeah. So is that your experiences when you've... Yeah, when I'm hearing you speak, straight away part of me is saying, but not everyone. Right. Because sure, I'm thinking sure. I would hate to give the impression that a diagnosis of a specific learning difficulty mm -hmm. means mm -hmm. there's going to be mental health or mm -hmm. emotional problems mm -hmm. because I do see kids that are coping really well yeah, yeah. and parents that are coping really well. Absolutely. So, so it's not like a... A sentence. No, it's not like it's not this. Definite, yeah, uh -huh. it's not it's like this equals this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, It's more probable, but yeah. it's not inevitable. Absolutely. Yeah. And it would be be interesting to maybe tease that apart down yeah. the track as yes. to you know, are there some predispositions that make it more difficult for some rather than others. Yes, and I'm very happy to talk about that because there's actually been some research, it, some great research in Western Australia about this, actually mm. looking at what are the factors that make it more likely for kids with learning difficulties to experience these problems mm. or less. So thank you for bringing that point up, Michael, because I do want people to um, not feel as though there's an inevitability about this because there isn't. Yeah. But I also want 
there to be some normalization for people for whom it happens. Yes. Because I think that um, we so often talk about the educational challenges and the learning challenges, but really often what is underneath that that's even more distressing is the emotional stuff. And that kind of gets put to the back seat in some ways because we're so focused on trying to remediate and do something about it that um, we forget to acknowledge the emotional pain that's there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It is is so tricky, isn't it? So as someone living with a learning difficulty myself and parenting kids who live with learning difficulties, I kind of feel like I was in a good position to set my kids up Mm -hmm. to not struggle. Uh Uh-huh. But <laughs> I can't say that I was 100% successful. So, you weren't a perfect parent, uh, no, Mark, is that what you're saying? Which is so disappointing right. for me. Jeez. And see, no, then, then the parental guilt comes in, yeah. you know, which oh, is really sure. difficult. Yeah. And so what, what, what does that research tell us? Like what mm-hmm. are the sort of circumstances? How do we yeah. set them up best to yeah. succeed? Yeah. So um, there are a range of different things that we can point to and they're not going to be the same for all kids. Mm -hmm. But one of the important factors that seems to mediate this or or influence this is how young people think about their learning difficulties and how they think about that and fitting into their self-concept. This, of course, is common sense, right? Unfortunately, a lot of psychological research is common sense. I'm going to say it, but sometimes (laughs) it's good to put the numbers on it. Um, But when we have young people who feel like their learning difficulties are a part of who they are rather than the totality of who they are, Mm. um, when they feel as though there are a range of strengths that they have, then that self-concept that's still intact protects them from a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I really, I find the whole area of neurodiversity that's come through in the last decade or so from the ASD world and the ADHD world really interesting and really helpful when we're thinking about learning difficulties as well. Mm. Is that something, um, have you talked much about that on this podcast? Do we, should we no, throw we that haven't. ball no, into the air we there? We actually should because, Kiralee, as you talked about um, that research Again, I was thinking straight back to Sally Shaywitz, who is one of the leaders in our field, Dr. Sally Shaywitz uh, from Yale Centre for Dyslexia and Creativity, who said students who do see something like dyslexia or another specific learning difficulty as a specific difficulty within a sea of strengths Mm -hmm. are more likely to do better. But look, I've seen this come up a number of times. Dyslexia is not me or dysgraphia or dyscalculia is not Mm. me. It's part of my setup, but it's only a bit. Yes. Mm. Yeah, but at school, it looks big. Yes, because there's so much focus on that. But I think what we're moving towards is not even just the strengths and deficits model. Mm. It's actually... Um, another piece to that, mm. which is that my deficits are only deficits in certain situations yeah, and right. only when the world is set up a certain way. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So if we look at a completely different world or a different um, career path or a different kind of societal setup, the things that we think are deficits may actually turn out to be the things that save people and yeah. make the world an awesome place. Mm. Absolutely. And so we're talk we're trying to talk more now about uh, differences and uniqueness and that all differences bring something to the world. Mm. Now, I 
I think that this can be a little Pollyanna-like, right? Yeah, so, we yeah. have to have some balance here mm. because the reality for a kid who can't read, it's it's hard to see that as, well, in some situations, not being able to read is going to be amazing. Mm. I, I, it's yeah, kind of a bit yeah. of a stretch, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's some middle ground, you know, like all things, you know, if we can try and find the common middle, it's mm. pretty boring, but um, it can be a, a good way of looking at things. But I think if we can kind of pull into looking at not just what are this child's strengths, but the things that are a deficit for them in some situations, maybe that means if they're not reading – are they actually looking at someone and communicating? Yeah. You know, if yeah. they're not actually writing well, are they instead, um, you know, running around and, and bringing some kind of other um, awesome aspect to the world? Mm. So, mm. definitely the way kids see themselves will influence whether their learning difficulties lead to more mental health problems. Mm. But there are some other moderators too, which we can look at in a minute if you Ooh, want. Yes, please. Mm. So, and, yeah, sorry, keep going. And Michael. it's how you go about letting them know what those strengths are. Is that what you meant by that Pollyanna yeah. moment? You don't want to just make it like, so it sounds like you're just saying it. Mm. You know what I mean? The kid has to actually believe they have that strength as well. They have to believe it. You can't it. just yeah. say, hey, you know, yeah. you're really good at this and yes. they're sitting there yes. thinking, no, I'm not. Yes. You're, you're just exactly. saying that. Uh, you know, kids are <laughs> so smart. Like, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to completely ignore that adult who's obviously off with the fairies because, <laughs> you know, they can't see this. Then oh, I'm not going to listen to them about anything, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, we have to be credible and authentic. Yeah. Um, but um, we can bring in our perspective and help kids to broaden the way they, they see themselves. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's certainly some um, mental flexibility required here, but I couldn't agree more. This stuff of dyslexia being my superpower um, or being my gift, uh, and, and many people have used that terminology over the years, and I think the most important audience who you'd want to believe that are the kids, and they don't. Mm. That, that's the Pollyanna-ish mm. stuff, I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, some yeah. of them do. I'm, I'm yeah, not no. think some of them do, yeah. uh, but whether that's useful or not, I'm not sure. I suppose that's an individual by individual thing again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, mm. like you know, do we say a blanket? I mean, don't get me wrong. No, I, I, no. I, I'm not. I don't think that's necessarily a good approach. But if it works for someone, could it be harmful for them to be thinking dyslexia is my superpower? What do you think? Is there is there harm in in that? I think it does depend on the child and the situation um, mm. and and what they're applying it to. Mm. Um, so, you know, if dyslexia is my superpower, then means, well, I'm not going to try at all anymore to do some things that are actually really important for my life, mm. then no, it's not helpful at mm. all. Yeah. But if it means that um, it, I'm going to redirect my attention away from just thinking about myself as a failure um, and maybe still do – keep on working on things that yeah. are important, then maybe fantastic. Yeah. And and maybe even that then frees them to actually do the work that's required. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah it's um, tricky, isn't it? Michael, I really do appreciate how you pick up the nuances because there are some kids, I'm sure, for whom that is really helpful. Now, I'm sitting across the table from an adult with dyslexia and, mate, you have got superpowers Absolutely. You have such a broad set of incredible abilities. Now, whether that's partly due to your dyslexia or not, I don't know. But Yeah, see, I, I, I personally, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm offended, but I kind of think like, oh, 
this is me. Yeah. I don't separate myself out to yeah. say, well, this is the dyslexic bit of me and this is this bit of me. They're, I don't even think of dyslexia. You no. know what I mean? Mm. They're, they're not, it's not like a thing. Yeah. And this is where I have a little bit of trouble with the dyslexia as my superpower because to me it's a little bit like I say to you, don't think of a pink elephant and straight away <laughs> you've got to think of a pink elephant. Yeah. It's kind of putting the focus, I think, not on the person. You know yeah. how we were saying before about it being about that whole person mm. and, you know, I'm a person with strengths mm. and diversity and mm. so on. Yeah. I don't know. It feels a little bit like I'm mm. focusing too much on what clearly is a weakness yeah. and trying mm. to somehow flip it. It doesn't mm. quite, it doesn't mesh with me. It's not to say it won't mesh with other people, no. but that doesn't mesh with me. Mm. I'd rather say you are a totally awesome artist. Yeah. Mm. Like you are amazing. Mm. But, you know, if you want to be an artist, somewhere along the way, you've got to learn to read because mm. <laughs> it's going to be a big part of what you're doing. So yeah. let's get in there and do it. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's yeah. learn. But don't forget that you're an amazing artist or you're an amazing sports mm. person or mm. you're amazing at this or yeah. amazing at that. I think they become your lifelines yeah. Yeah. to think, yeah, you know, I don't know, just speaking personally now, you know, at the times when you're feeling your worst – to be able to look back and see success in something. Yes. Mm. Doesn't matter what it is. Like mm. at school, I was a, a runner. Like mm. I was really good at running and athletics. I think my school life would have been ex very different if I didn't have something that I yeah. was really good at. Yeah. yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So some little thread of, you know, here's some proof and it's not someone else saying it to me. It's me knowing in my heart, hey, I actually was really good at that or yeah. I am really good at these couple yeah. of things. So and I don't know if telling people works. No, I, absolutely. Yeah. No. The, the, we're talking about this conceptually. In terms of how we communicate it with kids is a whole other thing. Mm. But maybe the challenges or, sorry, the strengths that people have, those doors have been opened because of the challenges. Yeah. yeah. And yes. so that's why I think, this diversity and difference model can be helpful mm. rather than just the strengths and, and challenges mm. because yeah. they're related maybe. Yeah. And so instead of seeing it as, well, I'm good at running, but, you know, I'm really bad at reading, we, can, we could see them as this is me with all my differences and maybe there's some okay bits about me being bad at reading because yeah. it means that I'm also got energy and mental space to be good at running. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, or I learned to put my all into those bits that I find not easy or the, the, those natural talents to develop. You know, I I can understand how it would be good to be able to go, right, I feel really awful about this part of my performance, but by heck I'm going to put everything into this other bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or to know that you can get success That's right. in something. If yeah. you really try hard, because yeah. being good at running is not an easy thing either. No. You know, no. you have got to train and you've got to yeah. work. You've got to, it's, it's hard work, but you succeed. Yeah. So I think knowing that you can do the hard yards and get success yeah. in something, mm. you know, it doesn't have to be reading. It can be drawing. Mm. It can be music and mm -hmm. it can be anything. Mm -hmm. But So what happens with those kids who don't have those opportunities. You know, what, what is uh, – we've kind of gone around a, a big conversation here, but what we were talking about was setting kids up for success. Yes. 
And so the kids who don't have that mindset are probably the kids that end up interacting with you. You know, you don't see the kids who are flying through. No, <laughs> sadly. Really um, well. Not as often <laughs> unless we chase them. <laughs> um, yeah, look, so as well as self-concept, there are some other things that moderate how well kids with dyslexia do. So one of them is peer support and peer connection. Mm. So one of the things that we want to do as adults who are caring for these kids is to do everything we can to help them with social skills mm. and social opportunities. And this, of course, is way easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there'll be heaps of families that will listen to that and go, oh, well, you know, it's not like we don't work our guts at it, this as well, and it's mm. not easy. But mm. I think um, continuing to have a focus on that all of the time makes such a difference to those kids who do okay and those who don't. Yeah, yeah. So that's looking at, you know, um, do d- is there some extracurricular options for them? You know, are there play dates or for secondary kids, you know, are there places for them to hang out? Mm. Um, do they have the ability to invite people over or start conversation mm. or make jokes? Mm. Can they resolve conflict at a developmentally appropriate level, not expecting six-year-olds to be great at that. But, you know, we want them to have some skills of sorry saying and yeah. inquiring and y- you're the expert on this, Bill, no, so I'm you not, know this stuff. The, but uh, we all try. We, we want, yeah. like, looking at what are those social skills and those conflict mm. resolution skills and connection and just kind of keeping on working at that will make a huge difference for those yeah. kids. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Mm. And why does that make a difference? I think it is because it impacts on social uh, sorry, it impacts on self-concept. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm someone with friends. Yeah. Um, we also know more broadly adult mental health is the same. You have connection with people. Those parts of the brain around conversation and altruistic kind of pro-social helping behaviour are very closely linked to the parts of the brain that are responsible for positive mood. Mm. You know, yeah. we're, we're designed to live in community as human beings. We feel better when we're living in community. That's right. So kids are the same. Mm. Warm-blooded, hairy mammals. Yeah. So, <laughs> so could this be? I mean, one of the issues living with a learning difficulty is that you end up spending more time doing homework. Right. You know, it it's just for the same amount of work. It yeah. probably takes you two, three yes. times as long, and yeah. so you're stuck between a rock and a hard yes. place. And uh, speaking as a parent as well, where you think, okay, well, to keep up, I got to do hours of homework. Yeah. yeah. So I might have to make a choice here. Do I have a social life yes. or do I do things outside of school and inevitably fall behind? Yeah. And now that causes more anxiety yes. and more stress. Yes. So there's a difficult situation there, isn't there? It's it, so and this is really real. You know, decision. this is a yeah. a real life situation that's happening probably for most people. Absolutely. Yeah. On, yeah. A, on a mm. daily basis. What do yeah. you choose? Like when do you shut the books and, you know, go and game with your friends online? Um, mm. yeah. So it is a really hard decision. One of the things, and there's no, I don't have any formulas to solving it, but mm. one of the things I do talk with families about is, is just keeping in mind that mood impacts learning so um Fundamentally, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, for all of us, if we, if if we you know artificially lower our mood, psychologists are really great at this in the lab. You know, they get people to kind of do some tasks and then they make them fail artificially repeatedly and tell them, you know, <laughs> tell get them to reflect on all of their past Sounds failings. Like a hoot. Yeah. Oh, 
That's um, sign me up. Wouldn't, wouldn't be my first choice of a job, but some people do it. So, you know, if we if we all have our mood reduced and then we're given a, a math test or a reading test, all of us will do significantly mm. worse. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, when we're thinking about the importance of mood for children, um, we want them to, you know, sit and tr- or they have to sit and kind of do this extra work. But sometimes, mm. fifteen minutes on elevating mood for, with some time with friends, you'll get through the work a little bit faster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And the so the you know where would that sit on the spectrum of forcing a kid to do their work? Because there's got to come a point, you know, there comes a point as a parent where, and as a teacher, where you've got to make a judgment call and think, is this kid just trying to get out of mm-hmm. doing this work because, mm-hmm. you know, they're lazy or mm-hmm. they don't, they're just trying to get out of it? Yeah. And so you need to give them a little bit of a push and yeah. give them a little bit of extra kind of adrenaline to, yeah. get, to get them moving, mm-hmm. get them over mm-hmm. that hump. How do you know, how do you draw the line there where you say, but... You know, at other times, giving them that extra push might actually put them over the limit. Yeah. And so now they can't actually do the work because they're too anxious yeah. because their parents just told them off and yes. the teachers told them off and yeah. everything's gone out the window. That's a def- delicate balance, isn't oh, it? Oh, and it's a question I get all of the time. Mm. Um, you know, are they, is child X doing or saying why because they are genuinely distressed or is it that there's some kind of, you know, extra motivation there that's going on? Mm. And my answer to that is you will never know. (laughs) And my second answer to that is behaviour is always multiply determined, right? Mm. So is it 10% I'm feeling sad right now or 90% – and 90% um, I actually just want to go and play my game mm. or, or for the other way around, there's always going to be both components in there. Mm. So you're going to get your brain tied up in knots if you're trying to figure out which is it because it's never going to be that simple. Multiply determined. Yeah. yeah. So in which case we have to make a decision as best we can, really hard to know, but as best we can on what we think is best for the child rather than trying to figure out why they're doing something. Yeah. Or are know? they trying to deceive me? Yeah. Are they not? It's a yeah, slippery you're slope, You're not hiding to nothing yeah. to figure that out because a kid probably doesn't even know half yeah. the time. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, if we've decided as parents, look, what is really good for Johnny is to do, you know, X amount of minutes here and Y amount of minutes here, then I think you just kind of have to try and go with that. Of course, there's always going to be exceptions and there are nights you're going to go, we just, we need to give up here. Mm -hmm. But you kind of try and go with what you think is right according to your values and the needs of the kids rather than what they're saying on any one night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This makes me think, so I've got a young, young student who's just started and like a lot of youngsters that have just started, they're getting into the routine of doing their phonology cards, their reading card pack at home and their concept card pack. And we know it's so important to help the parent and the and the child set good habits early. Because, Michael, you and I know the consequences of a kid who's hit and miss on that revision when the pack's an inch thick and it's taking them seven, eight minutes to get through it at home. So I'm saying to the mum... It's really good that we set this expectation early Mm. and we set the routines around it early and expect pushback. But something I also said was you're going to get pushback, but you also need to be really predictable with the child around you expecting it being done. Mm. Um, So really what I'm saying is don't back off. Mm -hmm. But 
there are going to be times, here's the big X in the factor, in the equation, there are going to be times when, like you said, the parent just goes, tonight this is a battle Hmm. that is just a bridge too Hmm. far. Hmm. I think you have to look at patterns over sort of weeks and months rather than kind of any one day. So if you're making the exception every second day or every third day, then that's probably not going to be helpful. If if you've determined what's helpful to do is this and you're not doing it, you know, two out of three times, yeah. mm. clearly that's not going to work. Yeah. But I, I think we've got to build in some flexibility too, don't you? Yeah. You know, families just have lives that are... And then there's expecting uh, the expectations, which is absolutely essential. We know that uh, permissive parenting styles, for example, you know, parents who find it really hard, they're really warm and encouraging, but they find it really hard to have expectations and follow through on expectations. Those kids end up doing worse. So we know we can't do that. We also know, however, that the opposite type of parenting where we're expecting kids to do what they're told, be little soldiers, Mm. no warmth, that, you know, that's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to kind of find this kind of middle ground where mm. we are being empathic with limits mm. around the the things that we want kids with learning difficulties to do. Mm. So the empathy piece is just so powerful and it's one that doesn't come easily to us uh, as adults a lot of the time when we're dealing with kids because mm. we have in our mindset this kind of teaching, taking charge. We feel anxious if we're not doing that stuff. But the actual sitting down and going, gee, this is hard for you, isn't it? Mm. You know, I can see you're feeling really sad about this or really worried about this. Mm. There's a study I wanted to tell you about, actually, which I think is really interesting. Um, some, Some, this is in the area of medical research where kids had to have quite painful medical procedures. And the experimenters randomly allocated the parents into a high empathy group or a high distract group. So the high distract group were told to get their kids thinking about anything else while this procedure was going on and distract them and and get their mind off the pain that that they were experiencing. And the high empathy group were taught to provide lots of validating empathic statements to these parents. And what they did is they looked at pain levels of the kids and how much pain medication they asked for and how much pain that they expressed. And they found that parents who did the high empathy validation levels had kids who had significantly lower reported pain and lower reported pain medication. So one of the things we think Mm. we have to do as parents is to get our kids stop thinking about all the hard stuff that's going on in their life and think about all the positive stuff and think about other things and just kind of not, not think about it. Mm. Right. But actually one of the most powerful things we can do is to say to a kid with learning difficulties, I'm sorry that this is tough for you. Mm. That doesn't mean we don't expect them to do their no. cards. Yep. Yeah. Oh, gee, I could take right? a leaf out yeah. of that one. Yeah. We, it's yeah. a real partnership, isn't it? I yeah. mean, sounds to me like you're describing a partnership. Like sure. parent yeah. and child, we're in this together. Like, yeah. and, and I know how hard this is. Yeah. And I'm, but I'm here with you. Yeah. We still got to do it. Let's yeah. do it together. I'm going to yeah. give you the support you need. Yeah, absolutely. But this doesn't mean we're not going to do it. No. Because that, because oh. we're losing it. Then aren't we? Then uh, we're losing yeah. the battle. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Michael. Do you remember? Because you were trained by Alison Playford, weren't you? When you did level one, partially. So Alison, uh, who is the Playford in Playberry, mm. um, said something which stuck with me. 
And it was to, it was what to say in a moment when that student turns up to see us and they are just not wanting to do it. They've yeah. come in and the world is, the weight of the world's on their shoulders and we've got this reluctant, resistant kid. And she, she would look at them and go, it's not fair, is it? And the student would kind of, what do you mean? It's not fair that you have to come here. It's not fair that you have to make another excuse as to why you're leaving the classroom to be here. Mm. Say it. It's not fair. And the student would sheepishly go, it's not fair. And Alison would say, no, say it with meaning. It's not fair. You're damn right it's not fair. Mm. This is a really unfair situation for you and you have to do it harder than everyone. But this is just the cards we've been dealt. Yeah. I suppose we should just get on with it, shouldn't we? Mm, beautiful aren't they just beautiful yeah. words mm, and i've yeah. used that mm. with so many kids i say yeah. to kids do you know what you are allowed to throw yourself a pity party every now and then because yeah. mm. this is hard yeah yep and you come here and we ask you to do stuff yeah which feels hard yeah and the hurts the yeah. hardest <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah. i i have kids who say it physically hurts them yeah to be trying to work out maths problems yeah. you know like they actually have pain in their yeah. head when they look at that yeah. and go oh yeah. this is too yeah. hard yeah <laughs> then i know hey i'm pushing them a bit too hard here but yeah. i'm thinking are there some telltales we as parents or teachers could look for so we we're all going to find ourselves in those situations where a kid doesn't want to do something and, you know, we think they should do it. Mm-hmm. Are there some telltales in a kid's behaviour or how they're going which might be a flag to say this is not normal struggling here, this is someone who perhaps is starting to develop an anxiety or depression or, you know, it's gone beyond just your standard level mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. anxiety or, or depression anxiety. or mm-hmm. resistance. Like are yeah. there some telltales we should be looking for that say, oh, hold on, mm-hmm. maybe we should go and see someone mm-hmm. like you or, or get some extra support? Yeah. Or, or at very least now's the time to make that exception yeah. around my expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Look, I think – One of the things that we should have our eye on is impact. So, in other words, it's no one sign or behaviour that is a huge flag Mm. necessarily. Mm. Or one incident. Or or one incident, yeah. Yeah. It's the impact on functioning. So, you Mm. know, if you have a young person who gets pretty upset about things um, but is still – you know, okay to go to school and Mm. still doing some stuff and still, you know, able to have a laugh and talk about other things, then even though they're struggling, um, it's not having this massive impact on their daily functioning. Whereas if you have a child who is just now not able to do anything that's important to them Mm. or anything that you think is important as a family, then that's when you start thinking about, do we need to try and do something more? Mm. Having said that, um, psychologists don't have any magic wands. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what um, psychologists will do will be things that you've tried already. Mm. And I think it's important to be realistic about that. Mm. Um, you're the expert still on your family. Mm. So, you know, take what a psychologist might say and try and apply it in ways that make sense to you. Yeah. And the other thing that we have to talk about, I suppose the elephant in the room is just access to psychologists. Yeah. So I don't want families at home going, well, I'm, I think my child really needs help. I'm going to go and make an appointment next week and get help. Because unfortunately, we just do not have the services in Australia that we need. Yeah, it's 
very difficult to see someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, sometimes as a psychologist, I think you're like, I agree with what you're saying about, you know, the not having the magic wand or saying things, but I think it's different when it comes from someone who's not a parent. Yeah. And I find that even as a tutor, I kind of do have a bit of a magic wand. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you know, where I'd I, like to borrow that. Yeah, you <laughs> know, <laughs> where if I say something, it, definitely a kid would take more notice of it yeah. than if a parent had said it. That's you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find myself in the argument settling mm-hmm. position, you know, mm-hmm. where the mm-hmm. parent and kid have mm-hmm. been arguing and they come in and they say, well, let's ask Michael. And for some reason, if I say, you know, whatever I say kind of wins the argument. And that's not because I'm... <laughs> Anything special. It's no. just because I think we put that status onto people in, you know, expert mm. positions. Yeah. Well, and so I think that's a, there's an advantage there, you know, if yeah. you do go and see a psychologist, yeah. um, it is another little, you know, it's an external um Influence on it. Sure, kid. sure. And I'm, I'm having some slight regret going on. I just kind of diss every, all of our professions. Sorry, psychologists are out listening there. You do good work. Um, of course. But yeah, there is that objectivity and also mm. the, uh, the enabling discussion, you know, you get stuff out of your head, you understand it more. And that's yeah. true for children and, and families too. Yeah. So having that third party can be really helpful. Mm. I, I suppose the reason for me to say those things is I hate to set up this idea of um, my child is struggling, therefore I have nothing I can offer or nothing I can bring to the table. I need to go and get an external person yeah. to help. Mm. Yeah, that's um, what I picked up from. It's it. actually yeah. not really true. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you you definitely can benefit from support. We mm. all can. Yeah. yeah. That's you, don't, you don't have to wait for that function problem before you go and get support. If you can yeah. find support early and access it, great, get it. Yeah. Mm. Couldn't agree more. So, Kiralee, one thing I really picked up from your chapter uh, that we referred to earlier was the teaching young people that when you have to work hard on something, it actually makes your brain stronger. Mm-hmm. And, and I think – no, I don't think. I know that's true um, whether you do or don't have a, have a specific learning difficulty. Um, when students struggle to, say, decode a word, um, something that I've said in the past is, well, that, that – your, your brain wants to do everything but that – al- that almost hurts to do that. Mm. But when it feels like that's what, that's when the brain is laying down mm-hmm. new connections – and, and the brain doesn't really like doing that. And I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but I'd love you to, <laughs> to expand on this idea, Kiralee, of hard work makes your brain stronger. Yeah. So there's a YouTube video I sometimes use, which I hope is still on YouTube. It's a very old video, but um, someone has, I'm assuming it's a neuroscientist, has captured a uh, brain cell or two brain cells joining connections together. So it's this kind of magnified by a million times. I don't know. I'm not a neuroscientist, but you can actually see um, this kind of axon and dendrite kind of joining together. And so it. I love that video. So I, t- I show that to kids because I want them to know that all this effort that they're expending uh, has a kind of physical correlate. Like it's not yeah. just kind of going out into the ether somewhere. Mm. They're actually shaping and changing their brains. Oh. And mm. so – that idea that when I'm working hard and concentrating, I'm doing something useful and there's a physical outworking of that, yeah. I think can help children and adolescents when they feel like there's no point to yeah. what they're doing. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think 
And it also brings in that element of hope. So hope is so essential for good mental health, Mm. isn't it? Like, you know, if you feel like you've got no chance of anything changing in your future, you give up. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we want to do is talk about how change is possible. We don't know what it might look like, and that doesn't mean we don't balance the acceptance as well, Mm. but we want um, young people to understand that the only thing we know about what's around the corner is that we don't know what's around the corner. So that means when we have that idea, it's always going to be like this, right? Nothing's going to change. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad, bad, bad as far as the eye can see. Yep. You don't know that Mm. because it's around the corner. There's a- that's so true. There's a real fatalism sometimes that I think can be easy to fall into when you're when you're helping a young person be oh, realistic's not the word. Understanding of the impact of a specific learning difficulty on them. Yes, this is hard. This is hard because. But the other side of that is we know we know this style of teaching that we're doing makes a difference. But by heck, it's hard work. Mm. And, and and now we kind of dip our toe into attribution theory about when our kids do have a gain. Well, number one, do they see the gains we do? When you're inside it, you, you often don't. But when yeah. you do notice there's been a gain, we know our kids, kids with specific learning difficulties of that population are more likely to attribute that gain to luck than they are to making the connection between the gain and their hard work. Right. Um. And why, why, why do I say that? Because we, yeah, we say that because – we have to help them understand that that slog will make those little, yeah. that axon and dendrite connect. Yeah. Mm. You can't see it, but the pain is having a structural impact, I yeah. guess. Mm. Yeah. But it takes time. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's the long game. It uh, is. And that pain is changing your brain as well. Yes. Yes. You know, just like the hard work changes True. your brain, the pain changes your brain. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I see a lot of kids get to the position where, I think it's protective thinking for them yes. to say something good's not going to happen. You know, they build up an expectation that something bad's going to happen. So when it does happen, they're not so thrown by it. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they build a negative protect view to protect themselves from yeah. disappointment oh, and right. from difficulty. So when something is difficult or they don't understand it, yeah. It's not another blow to their self-confidence because yes. they expected this anyway. Yes. It's kind of taking a bit of control, isn't yes. it, of a, of a situation you're out of control in. Yes, well, one of the things we taught youngsters in What's the Buzz was the best way to deal with potential disappointment is prepare your brain for potential disappointment. <laughs> I could be disappointed by this. It could happen. Mm. But, oh, crikey, what a what a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, there's, there's always balance. We can't always... We can't go one way and say, you know, we want kids to kind of have the lowest possible expectations, but we also don't want them to go, you know, well, if you just do these cards in about, you know, three weeks time, you're going to be cured. So we have to do find that kind of middle ground, but it will depend on which way a child is kind of leaning as to where we might want to encourage them, I suppose. Uh, But I find most kids are not. Uh, are more likely to be struggling with lack of hope than yeah. they are over overestimating what will change. And also yeah. true for parents. So can we take a moment just to yes. talk yeah. about that Absolutely. parent mental health stuff yes, too? Please. Because uh, there's so much pain. I think parents struggle more often with mm. children with learning difficulties in terms of their emotional health than the, than the kids do yeah. at times. Fair. 
because we see this uh, this idea of what we imagine <laughs> and mm. we, we see that it kind of isn't working out how we yeah. want. Mm. And then there's, as you mentioned before, guilt, Michael, the parental yes. guilt. Like, is it my fault? Have I not done enough? You know, someone said, did you reach your child oh. at home or something ridiculous, yeah. equally ridiculous? Oh, yeah. Constantly um, you hear know, that. Uh, lots of mums I know go back to the pregnancy like, did I have that glass of wine? Yes. What was it? Yep. So there's that that guilt, that responsibility, that sadness, that worry about your child's future. Yeah. So I think making sure that parents know that it's okay for them to seek support themselves and mm -hmm. to talk about that. I mean, they are dealing in the in the weeds with this kind of after school work all of the yeah. time, dealing with their child's distress. I mean, the child is more likely to say to mum or dad, I can't do it. I hate myself. I don't want to live any more than they are to say that to anybody else. Yeah. yeah. So they're dealing with that all of the time. So I, I really want to encourage parents to say, you are doing a hard job. And sure, it's part of being a parent, but it is hard yeah. work. Mm. So support yourself, you know, fit your oxygen mask first if you need to. Mm. Um, and then I want to bring in that little element of hope for them too, though. Yeah. Because yeah. just like we talked about, you know, we we don't know what's going to happen our predictions as parents where we go, this is going to be bad. This is going to be a disaster. Yeah, it, catastrophizing. We need mm. to remember, pull it back a little bit. Yeah. We mm. don't know. And that's where all the beautiful examples, and I know they're kind of oversighted, but the people with dyslexia and learning disorders that have done brilliantly, yeah. we need to kind of have those kind of shining. Mm. We do, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally am not so enamored with that idea of the shining light of yes. people living with dyslexia. <laughs> set, can, set, can set you up. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I kind of think, because I, I kind of wonder, I wonder if if you overdo it, of course, mm -hmm. there's always degrees, but I wonder if you overdo that, that it sets up an unrealistic expectation Absolutely. now that oh, yeah. I now, I now, now I've got I dyslexia, I've got a bigger, mm. unless I become a world champion at something or some or famous, yeah. famous actor mm. or yeah. something, I'm actually worthless. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can live yeah. just an ordinary life. Yes. That's right. And that's a success. Yeah, yes. it is. Remember yeah. Annette Brock, the, um, the educational psychologist who used to run teaching students with dyslexia, would say, we've got to be careful about that there's a hidden superpower waiting somewhere yeah. mm. with, yeah. with a specific learning yes. difficulty. Because she said, I've assessed plenty of completely ordinary dyslexic kids. Absolutely. Uh, you know? So, yes. yeah, yeah. And they're just going to live a life. Yeah. Like, like we right. all do. That's and right. That's you don't right. have to be a star. No. You don't have no. to be a famous person to be successful. No, no. Yeah. So it's overused. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and is not always appropriate. But there are... There are times, I think, where you just need to see a completely different prediction. Yes. Possible right. future yeah, than the one you're imagining. That's right. Because you're overwhelmed with the negative. Yeah. Yes. So you need some light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. don't you? Because a lot, I've spoken to lots of dyslexic adults who've said, um, I stood there as the teacher said to my mum, well, he or she will make a good tradie. Yeah. Or the world needs X profession and in that moment determined a future. Yeah. For, with good intention, not, yeah, not yeah. to cause harm, mm. but you see, that's that's the other side of this. That's mm. the dark side of this, isn't it? Mm. Mm. 
which doesn't never meant to be dark. Mm. But yeah. So it's right. It's the range of options that are available rather than just the superstar. You yeah, know, I'm going right. to be yeah. Richard Branson one. That's right. Um, <laughs> or I'm going to be just one other thing. Like yeah. we yeah. need to talk to parents about the fact that their kids have a whole range of different things they could be, that's right. and they'll yeah. be okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then they know that, of yeah, course. That's right. It's just yeah. in the moments that you lose the hope. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It, it, yes. Yeah, and, and that that uh, Kiralee, you so beautifully explained that moment of catastrophizing, and um, often for a lot of parents, straight after the idea. Well, actually, the, I was going to say straight after the identification of the difficulty. Now, not all kids have the difficulty identified, but I hear of of, of reactions ranging from "Oh, thank goodness, mm-hmm. now we know it's mm-hmm. something." Mm-hmm. To, oh no! Mm-hmm. This is this is this is it. This is the end. My child's never mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. be what yeah. they want to be. Mm. I hear more the the first. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think the diagnosis provides great relief. Mm. But yes, there's still times where it 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 worries. But I I think it's not the diagnosis that causes the fear. It's the the struggle <laughs> that yeah. causes the fear. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I want kids to learn those skills too of identifying, decatastrophizing cognitions and thoughts. So yeah. I call them calm sentences. Yeah. So it's not just uh, parents that need to do that. Mm. But we need to help kids who can manage their emotions as best they can. And that's obviously one strategy. Um, but on that point, that is another one of those modifiable factors that mm. kids who have better skills at managing emotions are more likely to deal with their learning difficulties better than those that don't have any skills in doing that. Mm. So we can explicitly think about when we're feeling really down as adults or really overwhelmed or upset, what are the actual behaviours or steps that we take or things we say to ourselves or other people that help a little bit? Yeah. And how do we teach kids to do that? Yeah. Mm. Because we do a lot of hoping kids feel better or telling them to feel better, but we don't always actually talk them through the steps. Oh, yeah. mm. Give them yeah. the skills. Yeah. yeah. And so if if I'm a parent um, a bit lost, you know, because you were saying often parents need support, it is very difficult to get an appointment with a mm. psychologist yes. and, and not necessarily a guarantee of success. Correct. And so there would be... A lot of people out there now who would be in a desperate situation yes. mm. and thinking, where do I go? Yes. What do I do? Is there some online resource I can have a look at? Is there someone I can talk to you? Do you have any little tips for people, you know, if they're wanting to try and learn what to do themselves mm. or look for some strategies to try mm. that they might not have tried? And Kiralee, if it's something you've developed, don't be shy <laughs> about saying it. We're about helping people here. <laughs> Well, I think one of the first things I say to people is see your GP because we do want to check on kids' safety. We mm-hmm. do want to make sure that they have a health professional. If a, if a parent is really worried, mm. I, I really want a health professional looking at that family. So always go and talk to a GP. Which isn't always easy for at the moment. That's, We've got a problem with that hard GPs too. as well. Yeah. yeah, But usually you can get in to see a GP I, and I know we've got more issues with gaps and we've got wait times, yeah. but mm. I hope that most people in Australia have access to a GP. I'm sure you were here on mm. some social network that <laughs> people will tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, if you have got access to a GP, please see that. Yeah. Um, also, keep an eye out for helplines and safety mm. lines. So mm. there may be people listening to this who do have a critical safety issue in terms of self-harm or suicidality. It's really mm. important to 
check lifeline go online if you put in crisis supports you'll find them mm. some of them mm. as far as other online resources well <laughs> I mean, you have asked, I suppose, so I will let you know that we do have one. Uh, It's called calmkidscentral.com and it does have a range of modules for children 4 to 11 to help them with things like relaxing their bodies, how you help them with calm sentences, how you help them redirect redirect, redirect attention and a Mm. range of strategies like that. Mm. Otherwise... I would be looking at the self-help literature, really. And yeah. there are some great books that have been written out there. If you go on Amazon and put in supporting or parenting children with challenges, and it might be learning difficulties or it might be other mental health difficulties, yep. there are lots of psychologists who've written some great books. Mm. So you look podcasts. at the reviews. There are, podcasts. There are lots of good yes. podcasts, too, yeah, on absolutely. mental health, specifically targeting kids. Yeah, yeah. That's We can right. put some links in I think the we should show model. notes. Yeah. yeah. So, Google is a good resource. It's just that it feels overwhelming at times because you just want someone to talk you through it because you just don't even have the yeah. brain space. Yeah. But if you if you go, well, we can't get into see a psychologist right now, but instead I'm going to spend that hour that I would have spent at an appointment getting a cup of tea, sitting down with a pen and paper on Google and just writing a few notes down, mm. you will often find a few bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, the trouble is we have high expectations, so we're looking for the answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, try not to look for the answer, yeah. but try and think about what might make things like 2% better yeah. Yeah. and you'll well, often can, find some. Yeah. yeah. What can you do in that moment of crisis? Yeah. yeah. That's that's right. One yeah. we do with our kids, uh, which we got from a psychologist, it's so simple but it saved us so many times, which is, you know, to try and get them into the present moment because they're freaking mm-hmm. out, having a mm-hmm. panic attack or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so one of the techniques we got told was uh, tell us three things you can smell Three mm-hmm. things you can see, three mm-hmm. things you can taste, mm-hmm. three things you can hear, and it forces them to focus on mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. senses right here and now. And by the time you get to the end of that list, you know, they're magically a, usually calm down. Yeah. And, yeah. and then sometimes, you know, it'll escalate, escalate again yeah. after that. But yeah. there's, that has been really helpful yeah. for yeah. us. Right. Do you have any little go-to strategies that you talk to people about, you know, for those kind of... The big crisis moment. moments, yeah. you know, mm. where the, there's a kid that's, you know, just a screaming themselves. mess yeah. on the floor yeah. or, or yeah. refusing to come out of their room because they're yes. so anxious. Well, the empathy one is the first one. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be for hours. That can yeah. just be 30 seconds. It can be mm, just yeah. one sentence or two sentences. And that can actually be quite magical yeah. mm. uh, when we stop trying to fix it and convince them to look at it differently and to yeah. convince them to calm down and, and just go, I can see you're feeling X and I'm sorry. I'm here with you. That can be magic. Mm. Another little strategy is around that redirection. So you've talked about redirection of attention to present moment, Mm. mindfulness, which can be great. Um, But it can also be about redirection to let's talk about a different topic for five minutes or let's go outside and, you know, get on the trampoline or let's have some food. Mm. So the reason this helps, and I think sometimes it can be useful to have the theory in the background, is if you think about the brain with where the attention is being directed. So if I'm freaking out about a, you know, assignment that I've got to do, then the parts of the brain that are all about danger, threat evaluation, they're, of course, Mm. highly active, right? we only have a certain amount of electrical and neurological energy in the brain, though. Like sometimes I talk to kids about this being a bit like petrol, right? We've mm. only got a certain amount there. So if we 
make ourselves talk about or think about something else, then that energy is going to have to be redirected across to the front bit of the brain, away from the back bit. Mm. So that then means there's not as much left over <laughs> for the bit that's for freaking out bit. Yeah. So distraction isn't just this abstract concept. Actually, something physical is happening mm. in the brain. So that's why it can be helpful. We want to set this up with kids in advance, though, because if mm. you just want to redirect and distract in the moment, what it feels like is invalidation. Yeah. Right? Yep. Whereas if you say in advance, you know how sometimes when we're doing your spelling words, is that, can I say that? Of course Still? You spelling can. words? Yeah. Okay. I feel like it's not <laughs> the phonetic. Uh, no, kind of correct. Spelling words are spelling still words? okay. It's okay. just how they're done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, well, you get <laughs> well, really- Well, your times tables. That's right. You get <laughs> yeah. really upset when we have to do that. And I don't blame you. I find it hard to do. I know you find it hard. But one thing I do know is that when I give myself a little break from thinking about something and go and do something else, what happens is another part of my brain starts working and it helps the really worried part of my brain settle down a bit. Mm. So I would like permission from you, if that's okay, when you are feeling really worried for us to do something else just for a few minutes. Mm. Now, you're not going to want to do that probably because at the time you're going to go, but my assignment, and that's yeah. okay. Yep. So let's have an agreement that we won't do it for long, but we will do it for a little bit of time. Mm. And can you tell me, you know, three things that we could talk about or three little short activities that we could do in advance and we'll have them here ready so that when it happens, we can go, remember, we've got five minutes to mm. do on that. And then it doesn't feel like, stop getting upset and go and do something else. Mm. It feels like it's a strategy we've agreed on together. Oh, I love that. Thank so you very you've, much. You've agreed yeah. on it beforehand when yeah. things are calm and everyone's yeah. thinking clearly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that you can just pull out the strategy and say, hey, yeah. let's do this. Yeah. I'm thinking of growing up kids in my house that I could do that with. That's, <laughs> that's, that is universally powerful. Mm. Or, or with y yourself. With myself. Yeah. Well, no, you see, I apply all this to other people, clearly, <laughs> never myself. We all know I'm a different kettle of fish. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, I did have a question. I mean, this is a... This is big, but, um, you know, so I'm not expecting a complete answer, but there would be, and this comes from personal experience too, there would be parents out there who whose kids have reached the point of school refusal mm. where, and, it, and it's understandable, mm. where school is so hard for them that they just stop mm -hmm. and they say, you can't make me, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, mm. I'm not going to school. Mm -hmm. Now, when I went through that with one of my kids, I found it extremely difficult to find any information anywhere mm. about what to do as a parent. Education department website has nothing mm -hmm. on it. And, mm. you know, I am an avid consumer of self-help mm. podcasts mm -hmm. and resources mm -hmm. and so on, but I've never really seen school refusal, you know, as such mm -hmm put into the spotlight and said, well, here's some strategies to think about. Mm -hmm. So if you do you see many kids or interact with kids who reach that school refusal yeah. point? Because sometimes I think it's good as a parent to know that this isn't just happening to you. Yeah. And this isn't, you know, the parental guilt again. This isn't yes. something you've done wrong. Yes. Yeah. Um, but this happens. It you does. Know, some kids get to the point where that's it. That's I'm it. not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't care what I'm, any threat or a consequence you can give me is not as bad, Could not be that bad. <laughs> as yeah. me going to school. Yeah, mm, yeah no, mm. unfortunately, is sadly quite common. 
And interesting in the days of COVID, actually, I think we're seeing more yes. school refusal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because lots of kids have experienced the awesomeness of not being at school oh. and do not want to go back. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely uh, a challenge that lots of families deal with. And in terms of where you get information about that, look, it is probably one of those things that really would benefit from a professional being involved. I yeah. mean, you can manage it in its early stages. Uh, one way to think about school refusal, which can be helpful, is to try and think about it mostly as an anxiety disorder, mm. because that then gives you a bit of a framework to think about well, how do we help kids who are highly anxious about a particular situation or event. And I don't know where to start. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I said it was big, I've got didn't a, I? I've got a, it's uh, very difficult. hour and a half long <laughs> uh, professional development seminar that I give on school mm. avoidance. So um, Schools, schools, give Kiralee a ring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's a professional one, actually. But <laughs> Schools don't give uh, Kiralee a ring. <laughs> um, what can I say that would be helpful? Do you have a specific question in there? I can, I can tackle it if you want or you might yeah. have something. Well, I suppose the specific question is if – if you're going to go through this, there is a point where that first series of confrontations, whether they're confrontations or not, might happen, where the, the kid first says, nope. I'm not going to go to school. Mm. And I kind of think those moments are important mm-hmm. as a parent. You know, the first time this happens, mm-hmm. what should my response be? Mm-hmm. You know, should it be saying, no, no, this is a Mm non-negotiable. You do go to school Mm -hmm. and, you know, you deal with it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what are you – or should there be an allowance along the way for a mental health day Mm -hmm. where you say, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, have a day off. Mm -hmm. let You know, have a day off, Mm -hmm. calm down. So there be is, less anxious or is that then a slippery slope where mm, you're setting a precedent now that every time I feel bad, I have a day off? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's definitely no blanket rule to mm. say, no, you can never do it. I have to say, though, and this is probably my perspective because I see it go so wrong so often yeah. and I probably don't see it where it doesn't go wrong. Mm. So you have to see this through my lens mm. of yeah. uh, my particular filter, but that is that it's Risky, risky, risky. <laughs> because to say stay home. To to say yes, you can stay home. Yeah. yeah. Because what happens is that the young person completely understandably gets this massive reinforcement from yes. that. So yeah. even at a completely unconscious level, what it says is staying home feels great and is good and being at school is terrible and is bad. Yep. And that is so easily perpetuated over time. Mm. So ideally, no, but then that's really easy for me to sit here and say, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. So I I say with full sympathy um, that uh, sometimes it's an appropriate thing to do, but you've got to see it a bit like a ticking time bomb. And yeah. if it keeps happening, then you're going to have a massive issue. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we then go, we've got to work our guts out to make school a better place for this child. Mm. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's like you just got to kind of stick it and, and you know, cope with torture. Yeah. We keep on fighting to work out, can we make another 5% difference here or 1% difference here? And sometimes it's like smaller, like, you know, you're going to school, but you, I'm going to pick you up at lunchtime. Or yep. recess time even. 
Like I would rather a parent pick up a child at lunchtime every day for a while than go, well, you know, you just don't have to go. Mm. Yeah. Yes, ticking time bomb. I often use the term very slippery slope. Mm. And that's so true. When kids get out of the habit of being at school, that fear about going back just gets bigger and bigger, I find, Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, Mm -hmm. really clever guidance around even if it's till recess time, you just bring the light at the end of the tunnel closer. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there will be some families who listen to this who probably say- It was the best thing we ever did. Yeah. It, it, it increased their mental health. Yeah. We got into, you know, open access maybe yeah. or alternative schooling or homeschooling and it was the best thing I've ever done for my child. Because it got us a level of support we otherwise couldn't have accessed. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Lots of ways it can be good. So, I'm certainly not saying that it for every child it's is a disaster. Mm. But I would say I've seen plenty of times it has been a yeah. disaster. Yeah. Um, does that, is that too strong? I, I don't think so. No, yeah. Because school provides the social connection, the routine, the, um, the sense of mastery over difficult things. So for a lot of kids, if you take school away, not only do you take social stuff away, you take away this idea that you can cope in tough environments. Yeah. So that's risky. Mm. So this is where we have to be really careful about and really, um, I guess, considered mm. about yeah. what does this actually mean. Mm. Is it worth having that sort of conversation up front with a to kid? To the child. Yeah. Like, you know, is it worth, well, I suppose it depends on the age of the kid and it so does. on. Does it does. And kids don't care because yeah. a lot of the time, because the anxiety is so strong. Yeah. Like what you said, like that, mm. they'll do anything. You know, I've yeah. seen kids vomiting, screaming, <clears throat> sobbing at the school gates. Yes. Yeah. Um, and parents understandably go, I can't. I'm torturing my child. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for me to have a conversation with them about, well, you know, it's really good for your long-term mental health, that child does not care. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're desperate. Yeah. So if parents um, believe it is the right thing, I, I know it is the right thing for my child to be at school. Unfortunately, it's on them, not the child, to make it happen. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, they might be an adolescent. It, 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 the same rules apply. The adolescent, obviously, there's a lot more autonomy and a whole lot of change. But, but the the young person, what is the same is the young person will still not want to go. Yeah, yeah. They'll intellectually want to go. Yes, I've seen this. Mm. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I should be going, mm. but I just can't get there. Yeah, yeah. and even not going yeah. increases anxiety. Yes, that's right. Because I'm not there. Yes, and I know I'm missing out. Yes, but it's too hard to go. Yeah, yeah. And the the anxiety yeah. spirals. Yes, yes. And even when they're not there, and you really need support when this <laughs> yeah. is happening. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about this in in a very superficial way. Yes. So there's a lot yes. of nuance to, to this. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's yeah. never just a simple answer, is it? No. I, I had one last question. <laughs> I know we've been picking your brain a lot. Um, Do you think that kids living with a learning difficulty, do you think it makes them um, a little more susceptible to other mental health issues? Because it takes so much energy. You know, a typical school day could be quite exhausting for a kid who, you know, struggles with maths or reading. Um, Do you think it means they have a little less in the tank? a little less resilience overall. So when those inevitable things happen in life that are nothing to do with learning difficulty, Mm -hmm. they're not quite, you know, got enough 
fuel in the tank to cope with it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the research backs that up. And I think all of us who work with those kids or parent them can see it, um, that they uh, will will find other things harder because they're exhausted mentally or otherwise. And the trouble is, is that depending on their age and emotional development, they're not so great at expressing that constructively. Mm. They don't say, I'm feeling a bit blue because of blah, blah, or I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or I'm really tired. They they say, I hate you and you're an idiot and, you, and, you know, I'm going to just tip this chair over. Yeah. Mm. So, and then they get, more negative uh, feedback from adults around them. You know, they often get mm. less warmth and mm. less understanding because mm. they don't, they're not so great at showing their vulnerability. They're going to yeah. act out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so unfortunately, this is where we started, I suppose, yeah. that mm. there is a, a higher likelihood that they will struggle. But as you pointed out, it's not inevitable. Mm. And if we can manage, well, if we can try and manage social supports, and, you know, peer connection and a sense of self-concept and be empathic as parents and get them as much appropriate educational support and fight for them, then yes, they might have some extra difficulties, but it doesn't have to be life determining. Mm -hmm. And and I hear you saying give them more things that they can enjoy and be good at and be fun with. Like put aside time to have a social life Yes. To do things that they yes. like, you know. Yes. So when you get home from school, there's something to look forward to doing yeah. rather than, oh, now I've got, you know, another grinding night of mm. yeah. <laughs> homework. And, and so then they get no respite, do they? Yes, mm. as much as possible. Mm. And that's not easy for families either because they're like, well, where, where do we find the time and money to do yeah. all of that? But, yeah. but as much as we can, yeah. I've just got three calm and confident sentences here, Kiralee. From this wonderful book, <laughs> When Life Sucks for Kids. And I do like the when because it's not if, yeah. it's mm. when. Yeah. But here we go. Calm and confident sentence number one, I'm not alone. Number two, I can get smarter and smarter the more I work my brain. And number three, I have lots of strengths. I thought that's probably a nice way to conclude. Kiralee, thank you so much. It's just, I did a lot of listening and a lot of reflecting, and I've learned a lot, and mm. I'm sure that parents who've listened have also learned a lot. So, Kiralee, you have a gift with what you do. Thank you for sharing that with us and with our listeners. Mm. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to yes. another episode of Discast Year. Episode 10. Yeah. We'll be putting the show notes up on our website, as usual. Um, anything that we've mentioned, we'll try and add there. Um, you can subscribe to us on our website so that you get notified when we have new episodes. And you'll find links there to Bill's social media profile, my profile. So feel free to reach out. We'd love to have a discussion. And thanks again for joining us, everyone. 